In a survey of over 4,000 healthcare providers that was published last November, only 10% of respondents stated they had successfully completed a digital transformation. Yet, so many experts believe the benefits of digital transformation could be massive for the healthcare industry. I am Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And in this episode, I will be joined by Candace Wallace, the Chief Customer Officer at Relias, which is a training platform for healthcare providers. We will be discussing the slow but sure march of digital transformation in the healthcare industry. And for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for-profit research institute. We track the financial performance of the largest publicly traded technology providers on the planet, More importantly, we perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSIA platform. It is that data that informs the insights you will hear in this series. So let's get into it. And Candice, welcome. And uh, you just joined the Executive Advisory Board at at, at TSIA, so we're just getting to to know each other. But I am uh, very impressed with your transition from archaeology to chief customer officer. So I want to start right here. Tell our listeners how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me, Thomas. Um, I would say, you know, I wish it was something that was really magical or a great story, you know, kind of like a lot of things in life. The reality was I I met my husband, we lived in different parts of the country. Um, And so I eventually made the move up to North Carolina, where I am today. And so when I got here, my thought process was, you know, do I reestablish myself, you know, in North Carolina as an archaeologist and kind of go through that all over again? Or do I just shift and try something different? And so made the decision to shift. And when I, you know, for me with archaeology, I always had this feeling of like pride with the work I did. You know, you really got to come in and kind of rewrite history or represent folks who didn't have their history really written at all. And so there was this element of like do good in the work that I do. And so when I went looking for organizations, um, there was something about Relias and the focus in healthcare and the mission of the business that really just made me say, hey, I feel like maybe this is something I can get on board with. So we were small enough at the time. I actually interviewed with the CEO of the company. um, And I remember saying to him, hey, I'm okay with starting over as long as you can, you know, assure me that there's room for growth inside of your business. Nine years later, it's it's been a pretty wild ride, I would there say, and he definitely kept his promise. <laughs> what, what and what was the first role that you that you had? Uh, it was a customer success manager, so working directly with our customers. Okay, we went right into right into customer success. Well, kudos to him to you know basically you know have that vision to say, look, I, I you you don't come from customer success, you don't come from you know technology, you don't come from healthcare, but you know the it's it's other skills that are going to really matter you know, in, in being successful in that role. So good for him for having the vision. So let's talk about Relias. So they, it serves the healthcare industry. Um, what solutions does the company provide? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, you know, kind of generally, we always say we are supporting staffing, compliance, learning, and competency across a single solution. Um, it's focusing on learners' ease of use and increasing engagement and adoption while reducing administrative overhead, you know, for healthcare organizations. And more specifically, you know, for folks that are out there that aren't as close to healthcare, you know, I would say it's a learning management system. It's an experience platform. We are creating and curating content 
content that meets the ever-changing needs of everyone across healthcare, whether that is continuing education for you know, for a, a licensed nurse or it's, you know, compliance education for someone who's answering the phones at the front desk. And when you say healthcare providers, so this could be, could be hospitals, it could be, I mean, uh, you know, different facilities, I mean, it's like the whole spectrum of yeah, so healthcare it's the, providers? We would say it's the full continuum of care. So we're finding ourselves okay. working with large health systems like hospitals, as well as post-acute care organizations. So folks who are doing home health, skilled nursing, and even the behavioral health side. So delivering behavioral health, intellectual and developmental disability services, things of that nature, where you're really focusing on physical and mental well-being. Got it. I just recorded a, an episode with Maria Manning Chapman, who leads our education services practice, and it was all about how education services has become more digital and changed. So you'll have to listen to that episode <laughs> when, you get, when it drops, because I think you're going to find it interesting. Um, okay, so, so now we know what, what relies us for a, a living. And it's interesting, you know, we have a lot of healthcare providers on the TSI platform, and we've got, you know, companies like Change Healthcare, Bayer, Philips Healthcare, Varian, and you want to talk, in fact, we even have a healthcare technology advisory board that I work with, and they, they all kind of say the same thing, and that is that, that the healthcare industry is conservative when it comes to leveraging new enterprise technology solutions, right? Not medical technology solutions, but they're, you know, the, the technology they're using to sort of run the business. And I'm, I'm curious, is this your experience? And, and if so, why do you think this is true? Yeah, I would say like generally, yes. Um, you know, kind of like medical technology, there are a lot of technologies out there that I say are they're almost required. So as an organization meets kind of a certain size, just like we would in any industry, scale is really important. And you know, to be efficient, you have to scale and sometimes leverage technology to do that. And so that that's where we see opportunity coming in for software providers. Mm -hmm. um, I also always love to say, you know, in healthcare and especially today, they're being consistently asked to do more with less yeah. and at like the highest yeah. quality standards that we've really ever seen across healthcare. And so that means that we have to think about meeting their needs a little bit differently, you know, and even when we saw an influx of dollars with the CARES Act, that really went toward direct patient care. And so patient care is the most critical part of their work. And so when you hear things like that, sometimes you're probably asking yourself, so how does a healthcare you know, technology companies survive in this space. And I think, you know, what's really important is that you have to have clear messaging so that healthcare organizations understand what you do and the value you provide. You have to have an ease of implementation because nobody has time to do that within a health right, system. Right. You have to have ease of use. And I think most importantly, a return on investment. Um, and so we always say if you can show a healthcare organization that they can leverage technology that's going to save dollars that they can apply to other parts of their business, that's really where you can start to win. Um, and you have to do that where you have proven experience driving value. And you have to be able to show that your solution won't be disruptive to staff or to patients, but it'll actually make all their mm -hmm. lives easier. And those are really the ways you can sometimes get around some of that, you know, unwillingness to make that shift. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just curious at your experience, because, you know, one thing as I talk again to the other healthcare providers, and you can read it, you know, in the papers is this discussion about, you know, outcomes in the world of healthcare. 
you know, it's less about quote procedures or activity. It's more about, are we getting, you know, the outcomes? So, so one thing you put on the table there was, look, you've got to have a clear value proposition to show them where they're going to get the productivity or the savings. You know, that's one angle. Um, Are you seeing more discussion around, you know, or, you know, focus from some of these healthcare providers around, you know, proving the outcomes that they they can, you know, you know, be able to hang their hat on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, uh, in the education space, it's always the holy grail to be able to tie the education you provide to people and turn that into right. some type of, you know, improvement that you can measure and whether that's patient outcomes or dollar savings. So we do that in some different ways with the different solutions we provide. A great example is in our obstetrics product. We're actually focused on very high risk elements that really they don't happen often, but when they do, they can be costly um, from a a life perspective, from a dollar perspective. And so you can focus, you know, providers and nurses in on these high risk elements and we can measure the outcomes, not only in their behaviors, Mm -hmm. but also in, in claims and staff sentiment on feeling confident to do the job. So there's a lot of things you can do that can really turn into measured dollars or reduce turnover or things that a lot of companies are really facing today. Yeah, you know, as I I listen to you, I mean, and to folks out there that maybe, you know, healthcare is one of your verticals, right, that you're you're trying to serve better, right? Unlike yourselves, where, you know, this is, you know, you're locked and loaded on healthcare. We've got a lot of listeners who that's one vertical. And and I think as I listen to you is reality that healthcare, you know, is very much like other verticals. They care about the same things here, like you say, productivity, I don't want to be disruptive, what's the, you know, the value I'm going to get. Now, they're more concerned about outcomes. We hear that more in other, you know, enterprise sectors. So there is a lot of similarities. And in in one of those similarities, I'm curious, you know, your experience around the impact of the pandemic, because I know from talking to, you know, members serving all vertical industries, but also specifically in healthcare, is that the pandemic, pandemic absolutely forced healthcare providers to get more uh, aggressive around leveraging technology, becoming more digital. W- what did you experience there with yeah, your customers? Absolutely. I think, you know, for the larger the organization, like I said before, a lot of what we do is something they're quite accustomed to having inside of their organization, where it's Relias or another solution. Um, but really, it's sometimes those smaller organizations that are waiting on to make that digital switch. And so mm-hmm. the pandemic, for a lot of them, helped them realize, I'm going to have to think about doing this differently, whether it's a virtual classroom type solution yep. or it's online education. Um, it helped them kind of get there a little bit faster than they might have gotten on their own. Um, and I would say at Relias, we really kind of took a more kind of proactive approach when these things happen and said, you know, what can we do to just meet the market where it is? We're mission-based, we, you know, we work in healthcare. So for us, we actually created COVID toolkits of all the different education and resources, put them out there on our public domains like nurse.com and just made them free for anybody who wanted it. You know, for our customers, we actually did something similar. We pushed content to their sites. We also opened up virtual classroom technology to every single one of our B2B customers and just said, you obviously need this. Let's put it out there and let you use it. Um, And so we tried to supplement the technologies we already have and kind of just introduce them in because it was really the only way for organizations to do this quickly and effectively was to do it in kind of rapid fire motion. So we tried to help meet them where they were. Um, and kind of just build that trust, you know, and support them through it. And, and did you have, the, you know, the, the, the capabilities to deliver, you know, your education services, you know, virtually, digitally? Was that already an arrow, you know, in your quiver 
pre-pandemic and then you could just, you, you know, expanded it? Or did you have to rapidly build some new capabilities? It was actually something that was something we already did and were kind of testing okay. on the side. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, we uh, didn't really foresee the need at such a scale. Um, but, you know, right. when this happened, we said, okay, what can we do to bring it to everybody a little bit faster and at no cost yeah. um, just to, to get yeah. it out there to them? So it definitely sped up our development timelines a little bit, but definitely yeah. worth it. And then, and this is something that Marie and I were, were chatting about. So do you think now, as the world comes back to more of a normality, do you think that the way people consume education, you know, your healthcare customers will go back to the way it was before? Do you think it, it's going to be that, that they're going to continue to leverage more of these virtual digital solutions? What, 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 yeah. what are you seeing? I think it's going to be a little bit of a mix. I think it really helped people understand that there are certain things that are really best delivered virtually and quite mm -hmm. a few others that just allow you to reach audiences to deliver information in a faster time. But I think we will still yeah. see some things go back to live. And honestly, that's kind of what we want. We know with adult learning principles and driving good outcomes that you really need a blended approach. So we're going to see things mm -hmm. shift a little bit back to where they were, but I have a feeling it's not going to be nearly as much in person as what they did before yeah. because they just know now that they can survive without it, I would say. Yeah, I mean that's very simpatico with it, with, with what Maria w is seeing. I think, and, and and again, I think part of this is just a proof point, right? Once people say, "Oh, that particular type of training I can do virtually, and it works," you know, my staff's getting it, or you know, my folks are fine with it. Other types of training, maybe I still you know need the in-person instructor, but but now that it's it's a proven experience, and they know, and like you said, it's more it's more cost-effective, easier to schedule. You know, on and on and on. There's some real benefits there. Oh, There's absolutely. some real there there. I, I think yeah. telemedicine is like one of the best examples of something like that that was working effectively. Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, but it really just pushed COVID pushed us all to put in the infrastructure and the process to to make it live. And now it's allowing us to provide better care to much larger populations than we ever did before. Oh, so. no doubt. I think I think that's such a great example. And and, and, and as you know, I mean healthcare, you know, the, the regulations. I mean, telemedicine was one of those things that was, it was a slow roll for lots of reasons, right? People weren't sure the patients would like it. Doctors, you know, aren't always the first ones that want to jump onto a new technology. And then there was all these regulations, right, about how you had to execute those calls and blah, blah. And they were like, hey, you know, we're going to make this a lot easier. And then once they did, I think both doctors and patients said, hey, this, for, for, you know, for certain interactions, this is a lot better than sitting in a waiting room for an hour because the doctor's running late. You know, when I could just be at home and just wait, you know, wait for the scheduled call. So, yeah, it's another great example how uh, COVID has been the great accelerator. Um, so, you know, I want to talk more about the, the healthcare industry because, again, I think for a lot of our listeners, um, it may be a vertical, right? One of the verticals they're, they're serving. Um, and if you hire someone that has never worked in the healthcare industry before, how do you coach them to be successful serving that industry? Yeah, absolutely. I would say there are always certain jobs like that we might hire that is really required. If you're going to write educate like healthcare content for us, we need a healthcare background. But for a lot of our roles, right. it's not really required. I actually had an interview today where the you know we kind of closed and they said, "Hey, elephant in the room, I don't know anything about healthcare." And I said, "Hey, I was an archaeologist. It'll be fine." Um, <laughs> yeah. And so you know, as a business, we just have to we're we're lucky that we're in the education space. So it's kind of just like in all of our bones, I would say. But, you know, we like to create a program that helps people start to kind of ease into understanding it. And so when an employee comes in, no matter what their job is, everyone goes through corporate boot camp. In that boot camp, I always say it's like culture immersion. Who are we as a business? Who do we serve? Who are our customers? 
What is our strategy and our goals? What are we trying to do? How customer centric are we? Um, and so everybody gets a really firm understanding of the organizations we serve because we need them to think about that in every single job because everybody has a part of the customer experience. Um, yep. So you go through a week of corporate boot camp, you leave that and you find yourself and depending on the role, sometimes a week to a few weeks or maybe even a couple months of an onboarding program that's more intensive for the role. And so that's where we're leveraging some of our own online trainings, our subject matter experts, even members of the executive team who are coming in and kind of helping people understand what they need to know to do our jobs better. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I would say that's been that's been really good for us a, as a business. Um, and then we have to continuously change because healthcare and technology are ever changing. And so yeah, we do absolutely. a lot of continuous improvement training where we're really focused on kind of reminding folks of the trends that are happening in the industry, really leveraging our voice of customer programs or market intelligence to put that back in front of staff. So every employee in the company gets access to voice of customer readouts, all the trends, everything that we're hearing. And then we like to personalize that for certain departments. But, you know, we're just constantly having to share what's important so that people can be customer minded with everything that they do, whether it's writing code or, you know, answering an email about an invoice. So I'm curious, you know, when you hire somebody who's not from the industry and they've been on board, they've gone through this um, this process, right, this onboarding, and, and they're getting educated about the industry, do, do they ever make any comments, you know, after they've been there three months, six months, a year, about what was different for them working in healthcare based on where they came from? Do you, I'm just curious yeah. if anybody's ever made that observation to you. Well, I think one of the big things we hear is that, uh, oh, wow, I've never had somebody invest that much in my onboarding because we, we put a lot of investment <laughs> in it up front. But, yeah. you know, one yeah. of the other things similar to, you know, myself and kind of coming in and being attached to what it was that the business did, a lot of our employees have a moment in life where, you know, they've been touched by healthcare in some way and they love this connection to the business. And so, you know, a lot of our employees have this mission driven element as well. While they never work directly in healthcare, they have this feeling that they're doing something right or something good at the end of the day. Um, and that can move you through anything that, that's kind of coming through. But I would say, you know, for a lot of them, it's, you know, it's that piece. And I will say to being healthcare focused, our customers are really phenomenal people. And so even if you've, you know, worked in a, you know, a contact center outside of, you know, in a different type of industry, what we will find is that the people you work with day to day from a customer perspective are just phenomenal human beings. They're very compassionate. They're very patient. And when they're not patient, it's because they've had, you know, the world's most challenging day. So uh, we're very fortunate that we get to work with just really awesome customers. Well, you, I mean, you put a really interesting thing on the table, which I had not thought about, right, in terms of the, the difference of this particular vertical or this industry is, is that, you know, if you're working with, let's say you're working with financial services companies, right, or you're working with retailers or manufacturers, um, and then you go and you're working in healthcare, that industry, to your point, is the people involved there are, you know, most of them very mission-driven, very, I mean, they're in this, you know, I want to help other people. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily here for the money. I'm here because I really care. You know, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's really in their bones. And so it's probably one thing to just be cognizant of as, as you're working with that industry is that's the type of people that you're going to be, you know, you know, working with and they, you know, and, and that, that motivates them. So I think, I think it's a, it's a great observation. The, um, so I, I want to go back to your, your role. 
So, so from your perspective, how is the role of chief customer officer different from, let's say, the role of the EVP of customer success, or, or, or are they the same thing? Well, yeah, how, how do you think about this? Like a lot of things, I would say it, it kind of depends. So it depends on the organization, what their focus is. Are they product-led? Are they services-led? Um, you know, what is the size? And I would say a little bit, too, the maturity and customer success, because everyone's kind of entering that journey a little bit differently. So, you know, mm-hmm. even a chief customer officer can have a pretty different scope across organizations. I've seen yep. some that only own customer success, some that own anything that a customer touches. Um, And so, you know, for us, we are a product-led organization, which means my teams are driven to drive value, efficiency, engagement with customers. Um, So when people ask me what I do, if they're not really in the software space, I just say, I'm in the business of customer joy. Um, And, you know, I share the responsibility (laughs) of customer experience. I'm in the business of customer joy. There you go. Yeah. I mean, that's really what we're we're after, right? Customer joy. Um, And I would say, you know, for me, more specifically, my teams provide professional services. So implementation, managed services, mm-hmm. education services, um, customer success. It's well beyond the scope of just traditional yeah. customer success. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then we have a customer success program that is an mm-hmm. adoption-based program that covers you know, high touch all the way to tech touch mm-hmm. across all of our customer segments. Um, and then I also have our support organization that includes you know, B2C and B2B responsibilities, as well as an operations function that's focused on customer experience and really enabling us to do what we do at scale, I would say. Yep. So, I mean, so you really do have the remit of the end-to-end customer lifecycle after they've been sold. Correct. You know, after, after that sale, then you know, everything from implementation to getting value and all that, all that kind of good stuff. So, so, so now that we understand that, what about the, the relationship between your role as chief customer officer and, and the senior sales executive at the company? You know, what, what makes that relationship tick? <laughs> I know, I would say it's critical. So, you know, it, it's really important that you, you work well. I think there should always be a natural kind of friction between, you know, pre-sales and post-sales together just because, you know, we're all, we're all trying to drive at different angles. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, our, our CRO, so our chief revenue officer really owns all of the kind of sales responsibilities. We have a sync every single week where we're making sure we are aligned on customer issues, we're tackling challenges we might have with anything in the team head on. And I think that's really important. We also share MBOs. So we're sharing goals together so that we are aligned even financially on on what we're really trying to do to push the business forward. and I consider our CRO like a true business partner. And I always feel like if you don't have that in your organization, you have to start taking steps to to move that forward. Um, it's been helpful that I took a, a swing out and stepped into our sales organization to stand up our solutions group. Um, you know, having a good relationship with someone in sales, it certainly brings credibility if you've ever owned a sales number as part of your Absolutely. career because you have that perspective. Yeah. It um, gives you it gives you street cred for sure. Absolutely. No um, I will also say we've we've done something kind of for us it was progressive and we've centralized enablement resources between our teams so that you know we have one individual who really owns staff enablement for sales and client care, and they have a team of resources underneath them that support that. Um, Because, you know, some of the lack of alignment you might have is that you're missing the message. You're not reading from the same sheet of music on what you're pushing Mm -hmm. into the market, what you're asking of customers, what you're asking of your staff. And so 
also sharing some of those resources has actually been really, really helpful for us. Um, and I would say, you know, a similar example is, you know, a lot of times sales gets told on, they're taught on the messaging and really what is this value to the market? And then we may train CSMs on how does that product work? And really the reality is our CSMs need both. Same thing like a solutions mm -hmm. architect really needs to know the nitty gritty of a tech stack, just like someone in support would. And so we're getting a little bit of, of scale and synergies there, but it's also bringing our teams a little bit closer together as well. And talk a little bit about that that handoff, right? So sales is out there. They they obviously know the talk track on the value proposition. They're talking to a customer. The customer goes, "Yep, that's that's I definitely you know that that value is important to me." And then there's this handoff, right? To to post. So tell me a little bit how you make sure that that you know works well because one of the you know the things we hear all the time is well you know sales sold one thing and then the service and customer success organization etc gets involved they're like well well you know our product doesn't do that you know or whatever so how do you make sure you avoid oh, yeah, that absolutely. scenario um orchestration has been a major initiative for us i would say over the okay. last year okay. because yeah. everybody struggles with this right but i would say you know yep. we've done some things that are, are process and technology driven where you are forcing handoffs and approvals for deals to go through where mm -hmm. all the right people are engaged and understand what's going you gotta on. you got to check the boxes, basically. Absolutely. You're and I would say the, the other big thing for us is really documenting the value component. Why did someone buy our product and what are they trying to get mm -hmm. out of it? Um, and we have really made that part of the implementation process. So part of that handover is having a goal setting call where you have the sales rep on the call, you have the CSM driving the goal setting and value conversation, and you have services on the line to help make sure we're setting that up to meet those goals. And then we're using technology to track that goal and to put them into themes and categories so that we can see with our customers over time, are they actually realizing those goals? What are the trends that are coming up across solutions or across the different industries we serve? Um, and so it just moves on down the line. But really kind of cementing that, putting that in stone and putting it out there and putting process in place to make sure that people are reacting to it and updating it, that's pretty critical. We've also taken some steps to really think about you know, we all have the process of what happens when things go wrong or when you are renewing the contract or when you're looking to yep. expand. But what happens in steady state? All the little things that happen in between closing a deal and the renewal. How do we make sure that we know what all those steps are and where touch points should be and how teams should collaborate? So we've really been formalizing a lot of that. Um, it's not fun work, you know, doing process maps and other things, but it, yep. it's pretty critical to make sure that you can't have someone moving forward without their partner working there with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple, I mean, I've been a year, two years ago, we published something called the, the Checklist for Success, which is really about this orchestration that you're talking about, right? These handoffs between all the different organizations and especially, especially from sales into you know, the customer success and service organizations. And one of the things we hear is that, you know, people just get frustrated because they say, look, our, our, our sales folks aren't accountable to complete the you know this type of checklist right there you know it's like hey they got the deal boom great we got to sign we got to move on to the next or whatever um, and and I'm sorry I mean I think that is a losing strategy I mean what you're describing like you said some of this is quote no fun doing these process maps and making sure that boxes are getting checked in the handoffs but it is the winning strategy it is the winning strategy because what you know again the north star is you're trying to make sure the customer gets the value not that they just bought but they actually get the value and it's not going to happen if there's this massive chasm between the sales motion and the post sales motion so absolutely i mean you know it's it's work it's got it's got to get 
done. And I'm just curious because you had mentioned renewals. Is renewal the renewal responsibility? Is that part of your organization or is that within sales? I'm it's just curious. Sales for us, I think you know. There's a lot of different models for success. For us, that kind of division of church and state on on sales mm-hmm. has it's always put it in the sales piece. We you know we are asking our CSMs to help drive renewals and support it. We pass leads over. We have a really great client success qualified lead program, and we see really mm-hmm. great close rates on what we're passing over. So that helps that relationship as well. But um, I want to keep my CSMs as trusted advisors, and I think you know I want them to drive adoption. Um, it's not to say that won't ever change, but really the way I see it now for our business and where we are, it makes a ton of sense for us. Yeah, no, I was curious, and we see all those you know all the different models in play. I mean, we're you know I'll put my cards on the table, and we're big believers that CSMs can own renewal commercials and not break that trust yeah. you know, in church and state. I mean, we, we, we've seen it in the wild. Um, we know it works. And I think ultimately um, there are good economics there for, for the company as, as you grow. But there's no doubt that all the different models are in, are in play. You know, the one you have is I, and I was just, again, intellectually um, curious, you know, between you and the CRO, that, that responsibility. So, um, so I want to go back to career trajectory because you just put on the, the table, the fact that you had a stint in, you know, carrying a number and solutions, um, side of it. And, you know, I did this, this podcast episode with Dion Hedgepath, who's the chief customer officer at Sumo Logic. And we talked about this concept of, of spiral careers. And these are careers where, you know, you don't spend, you know, your entire career going up one food chain. In other words, hey, I joined sales and I work my way up sales or I joined customer success. That, you know, these are career trajectories where you're jumping between, you know, professional services and support and then maybe you're over in sales and now you're back in customer success and, and that that can be an accelerator. Right for, for for your learnings and setting up to be success. So so t- tell me a little bit about you know your your career you know trajectory and how you know moving around here has has helped you. Yeah, absolutely. I always say like a. I often hear people use the phrase lateral move almost like it's a negative. You know, I don't want to be yes, a lateral move. I have right. to make it you know forward. And you know, when I first yeah. came into the company, I really didn't even imagine what was possible. But I would say you know. As I started to grow kind of my career and my experience here, it was pretty critical for me to have the skills to to be able to move up into a role like I'm in today. You know, I think at some point along I said, you know, a chief customer officer would be a really great target for myself. And, you know, I can't I could certainly stay in one lane and be really great at that and spend a ton of time in it. But for me it was can I support our organization better if I can bring perspective from all the different groups and kind of really understand the value drivers, the challenges? Um, And so for me, you know, it was a little bit of a leap. I will say, you know, anytime you feel like you are going from expert to learner in your career, it's not a, it's a challenging space, but it's something that I I would love to encourage people to embrace a little bit more because you're always bringing skills with you. You're developing leadership skills and what you learn as a leader will always carry through and transition and kind of provide structure and guidance. And so, you know, it can be fun to learn new things, you know, but you just have to be open to it. Um, and I will say there's a lot of significant value just in perspective and experience, um, you know, things that you just would never have if you didn't take that risk and go out there. Um so, you know, I often say when I'm chatting with employees and they're kind of trying to make that decision, I, the first thing I always ask people to do, I said, you know, I just need you to sit down and think about what are the three things you need in a job to bring you joy um, mm-hmm. and really understand them. And then once you know that, 
it can allow you to take risk a little bit more because you know you can be happy and shift around. So for me, it was I need to be tied to the work I do. I love, you know, scaling and leading teams. And I love being constantly challenged. And when I really like put that like pen to paper, it was incredibly freeing because it was that kind of mindset that made me say, you know what, I could really step out of the client care lane and go into the sales organization and try something totally new. And it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made because that perspective and that ownership of something incredibly different, um, it made me so much more effective at my job today. Well, you, I mean, you said, uh, you know, a lot of important things there, but two that just really struck me. And one is this, this feeling that a lateral move is, is, you know, not a move forward. And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, that's the wrong perspective because a lateral move is when you're, especially when you're doing a lateral move in an area you don't know well, and it's going to be a huge growth opportunity for you, mm-hmm. right? It's not, a, you know, it's, it's not keeping stagnant. It is really, a, you know, a growth move, number one. And then number two, this point that you're making by, by walking in these other people's shoes <laughs> completely changes your perspective, from therefore, so if you're if you're in customer success and like you say you do a stint in sales, you will never view sales the same again. You will have a completely new respect for their challenges and why they do the things they do, and you know, et cetera, and vice versa, right? If you're in sales and you ever did, you know, a stint over, you know, with a service organization, you would walk away from that with a completely different perspective. So I think that uh, again, I'm a big fan of these of, the, of these lateral moves of these spiral careers because I think what you end up with is much better, you know, well-rounded leaders for the company, you know, and I, I, you know, wish more people would, would sort of, you know, lean into those types of, you know, opportunities. So I was just curious what your experience has been. So that's, that was good. Thanks for sharing that. So I have one more question for you today. And, and this is around, you know, recruiting uh, in new talent into tech. And we've been, we're working on something called uh, Career Tech Pathways, and we're trying to, to work with our member companies to recruit non-technical minority students to consider a career in tech. And, and we really believe this is you know, a good pathway to improve diversity in the industry. And, and I'm just curious from your perspective, and again, you have this unique background of coming from a non-technical career and now you know, being you know, at a company that provides you know, technology solutions. You know, how do we recruit more non-technical majors into the technology industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is probably one of my most, like my favorite topics, I would say. Just anything, especially when we think about increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and everything that falls underneath that. You know, I think on the most basic element, there's that driving of understanding that you can be in tech and not write code. You can also write code, and that's a great thing to do. But I think a lot of people think of technology and software and they think about these like technical computer science backed roles. Right. And the reality is that's only a small part of what we do. Um, and so the more you can do to kind of put that voice out there and showcase, you know, what is available? What does that landscape look like? I love I think there's a university now that actually does it has a degree program in customer success. Like those are the types of things we need to highlight. Um, You know, and I would say in just a much bigger way, when you think about yourself as a leader in the tech space, um, we have this responsibility to be obsessive about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because the reality is we can do a lot of work up front, but when someone looks at a tech organization and they don't see people that look like them, they don't see people that share their backgrounds, they look up the career ladder, they see less and less diversity, 
you know, they're not going to want to join an organization where they don't feel comfortable or feel that their, you know, their values or their perspectives will be heard. And so it's really important for us in the tech space to be obsessed on this and to really be focusing on it. And so I always say it starts at an organization of measuring your diversity, understanding where you are, setting targets and goals. And then there's a lot of like really simple simple things you can do to make a little bit of an impact. It can be updating updating job descriptions to remove things that are nice to haves, um, mm-hmm. focusing more on the, the kind of role or experience and not about specific job roles that someone's had in their past. Um, I think it's also a little bit more around just committing to, I'm not gonna hire someone until I see a diverse candidate or you know, I can be intentional with my hiring. I can partner with universities or programs that you really represent kind of, you know, marginalized groups. And I think there's just a lot you can do within that space to to set tech organizations up as a desirable space. You know, we can do everything we can to try to bring more folks in, but we also need to reflect the communities that they're in so that they'll feel comfortable and confident that their voices would be heard if they made the switch. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's w- one thing, I mean, the, the, the one of the arguments I've heard historically uh, from different companies, look, I, I would love to hire more, you know, diverse talent, but there's just, they, they don't apply. There's no pipeline, right? I, you know, I, they just, you know, and, and I think that that, uh, I've really changed my thinking on this over the last three to, three to four years. I mean, I, I just don't think that's the problem. No, there's a lot of other I problems. Think, and I think we're very right. fortunate that we have a, a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion who's helping us be more focused on this and more intentional. Um, you know, I say the same thing to my leaders. It, it's really tough when turnover is high for a role. You've been waiting for a couple months. You feel like you've got a great candidate, but you haven't seen anyone that's diverse. You've been carrying on the extra workload and you're saying to yourself, I've got someone great here and I really want to hire them. And the reality is you might still hire that person. But I'm like, we have a responsibility to come back to recruiting and say, hey, I haven't seen a diverse candidate and I'm not going to make the move until you do that. Can you target diverse candidates for me? This is what I'm looking for. Um, And, you know, it's harder to do that. But I think sometimes if you just hold the line um, and you think about where you're posting, how you're talking about the role, it helps. Absolutely. See, that's huge. And that's what I'm saying, because I don't think that it's it's a pipeline issue. I think that, you know, if you if you, you know, for example, you post a sales job and you say, look, you know, we didn't get one diverse candidate. The questions you should be asking yourself is, okay, how was that job description written? Where did we post it? Where what universities are we recruiting from? It's like, you know, that becomes the larger set of questions, I think, yep. right. If we're, if we're really going to, you know, get serious about this. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is, it's a great t- topic and it's something that, you know, we're just, we just got as an industry, we have just got to keep, you know, working on this. There's just no, no doubt about it. Um, well, Hey, I, I really want to thank you for being here, uh, today. Uh, you know, some good insights for, for people again, that may, may healthcare may not be their main industry. Um, you know, one other thing that struck me that you said about, you know, healthcare being a mission oriented back to tech and tech recruiting talent. I think that's a good thing for people to think about. I believe that this next generation of talent, um, they gravitate toward mission oriented, organizations. I, I'm seeing that with my own, you know, kids who are adults now and, and what they care about. They just don't want to go work for a- anybody. You know, I think they're they're much more interested in what is this company trying to achieve? What's it all about? And so I think for tech companies, you have to onboard that. You know, you may, you may not be in healthcare, you know, but, you know, if you, what is your mission? What's that story you're going to tell, you know, the, the next wave of, of, 
of uh, up and coming talent that's going to excite them. I think that's going to be important. Absolutely. But anyway, so gr- great insights, uh, you know, on the industry, on the role of chief customer officer. Uh, and as our listeners know, I always like to end these podcasts with the big question of the day. And today, we know that every industry is becoming more digital, even highly regulated industries like healthcare. Are you prepared to be a strategic player with your customers as they navigate digital transformation? Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.